This is Nailing the Apex. I'm Tim Haraney. Start this one with Max Verstappen. Well, he's a three-time F1 driver's champion. Uh, he won it in the sprint race on the Saturday. If you had heard us on our last podcast, I think you probably knew that I wanted this one to go down on a Sunday and not on a Saturday, but here we are. So it was interesting. There was a there was a great question, you know, asked to me during my sports center hits over the weekend. And the question was, is this the most dominant championship win of all time? And I had to think, you know, because there's been, you know, so many, obviously. But at the end of the day, I, I boiled it down to, to, to four of them. It was Michael Schumacher in 2002 and 2004. And I remember those specifically because he absolutely ran away with those titles and not only capturing as many victories as he did in those races, it was the consistency at which he was also finishing on the podium. And then I thought of, well, I got to throw Lewis Hamilton in there because if you think about 2015 and 2020, like, those were very dominant seasons from Lewis as well. And obviously winning the championship in those seasons at the same time. And so what Verstappen has done this season was six races to go when he won the championship. You know, I would put, I would put this championship right up there with those. He's been, he look, he's been handed an incredible race car. Right? Like we, we know that he started the season with this just a weapon of a car that Adrian Newey had built for him and the team, Adrian Newey and, and, and all his staff. An incredible job. This is probably one of the greatest race cars uh, that we're going to ever see potentially. And then I take a look at how his season has gone down. You know, if you go back to, uh, Azerbaijan Grand Prix, you know, it was kind of back and forth a bit. It was, it was Max, Checo, Max, Checo. And you get to Azerbaijan and Verstappen suffers defeat there. You know, Sergio Perez beats him. And then the next race up is Miami. But it was interesting in that race in Azerbaijan because he had learned something about the car. He had learned something about the tires. And he had managed to figure out how these two things worked together in conjunction and what he needed to do as a driver to drive around all of it. And so by the time we get to Miami, he took that grid penalty for the race in Miami. And I remember being, you know, on the grounds for that reporting for SportsCenter at that race. And he he was incredible in the race considering like, first of all, the temperatures, like it was like blisteringly hot at that race, like blistering, maybe not as hot as it was on, on, on Sunday for the Grand Prix, but still very difficult conditions starting in the midfield and then carving his way through traffic, through everybody and coming away with the win in Miami. And he was on the weaker strategy in that race. Like he 
he didn't have he didn't have like the best tires. He didn't have the stronger strategy. I feel Sergio had the stronger strategy in that race. And, and I thought Sergio was going to come away with not only the victory, but also the championship lead in Miami. But for Stappen found a way to get this thing done. And it all has to go back to Baku and everything that he learned with the tire in the car and how to manage all of that. Because, you know, the RB19 is great in races in terms of managing its degradation. So how the tire peels itself apart, how the tire gets worn down. And once he got out of the car, he looked so jacked. He was slapping it. He was pointing at the number one symbol on the front of the car. And I was like, you know, this really feels like a, a statement win. And I remember, you know, our producer I was work, who I was working with, you know, we were chatting about this and he was like, you know, this, this, this seems like a statement win. And I, and I said to him, I'm like, you know, I agree with you. It, it really does. And the way he had celebrated afterwards. And I remember asking, you know, Verstappen in the media pen, like, you know, Hey, this kind of feels like a, a statement win. Like what, what would you say to that? Like, do you feel it is? And he, he simply brushed, he didn't brush my question aside. He kind of just acknowledged what I had asked, but didn't really say yes or no <laughs> to the answer. And so in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a yes. <laughs> but regardless of all that, I mean, it was that moment that set him on that 10 race uh, winning streak that was a record in Formula One. And what comes along with that record like a few things that stood out to me the most, in particular Monaco, the the qualifying, his qualifying at the Monaco Grand Prix, wrestling pole position away from Fernando Alonso. I would say Aston Martin at that moment probably had just a bit more pace in qualifying than the Red Bulls did at that particular track because the Aston Martin really suited that track in Monaco. What it does. And what he did in that Sector 3, man, that is one of the greatest Sector 3s I have ever seen in Monaco. Trust me. Look, I've seen a lot of laps at Monaco. There has been some incredible drivers doing incredible things there. But that Sector 3, to me, that's going to stay with me until someone does it better. Because... Razor's edge, one little mistake, and that's it. That car gets rolled up into a ball, and it's all over. So that really stand, stood out to me. Also in Japan. So in Japan, the Japanese Grand Prix, he's coming off of, in the team, they're coming off a defeat at Singapore to Carlos Sainz in the Ferrari. And he just comes into Japan, and you can just see it on his face that you know, this is my weekend. I'm going to make this my weekend. And I was like, you know, look out for this guy. He's going to whack everybody. And sure enough, he did. His qualifying at the Japanese Grand Prix was sublime. Absolutely incredible. On the limit the whole way through. And Karun Chandok, I think, even said that that was one of the best qualifying laps he's ever seen. Ever seen at Suzuka. I've seen some good ones there too myself, but that one was, I agree. He, it was up there, man. Like that was a great lap. 
And then you come to Friday at the Qatar Grand Prix qualifying. And they only get one free practice session because this was a sprint weekend. So the car maybe not have been completely tuned in to what you know Max does with his driving style. He goes into qualifying, absolutely blows everybody out of the water. You know, look, on his last push lap, I do get it, he goes off, but no one was still able to come even near his provisional pole time. Nobody. No one. And considering the fact that qualifying in Formula One lately has been super close, it really has. It's been close between even drivers pushing Red Bull for pole positions. Like, Red Bull hasn't had it super easy with pole positions. They haven't. They have a great race car. So, all-around car that does everything really well, they got that. But some of these other cars are just tremendously fast in qualifying. Like, one-lap pace is just like, oh, okay. He blows everybody out of the water on Friday. And look, you know, I got a lot of messages about F1, you know, being boring this year and the dominance and they don't like it. And look, I get it. You know, I, I get all of it. We've talked about it. I understand. I know what you're saying. But in 20 years time, we're going to look back on this. Trust me, we will look back on this and we'll be like, yeah, yeah, that was pretty good pretty good there's going to be a documentary made about it for sure and in 20 years time we're going to be watching this thing and we're all going to be like yeah 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 he was yeah that was pretty good really impressive really impressive so yeah that is that's why i put this season you know right up there with the likes of you know schumacher 2002 2004 hamilton 2015 and 2020 I mean, just remember the Schumacher documentary, if you all haven't seen it, on Netflix. It's great, by the way. But during Schumacher's run of dominance, there was tons of people who were saying, eh, this is boring, I don't want to watch, and blah, blah, blah. But then once you know you watch the documentary and you're like, yeah, you know what, that guy is pretty incredible, and what he did was amazing. So there you go, right? This is going to be the same thing. I mean, just enjoy what we've seen. You know, and I, and I get that, we need a little more entertainment up front fighting for, for the lead. And I believe we are going to get that. But what Verstappen has done this season is is really incredible. I was also asked a, an interesting question on SportsCenter. If he could ever get to seven world titles. You know, obviously like Hamilton and, and, and Schumacher. And you know what? When I look at that, you know, that's a that's a that's a massive number, right? Like seven is a massive number. It's not. It's not that it's impossible for him to to do it, right? Like I think anything in in life is is possible. I don't think it's impossible for him to get to that. But there's a ton of stuff that goes into this, right? And all you guys who watch Formula One, hardcore fans. Like you get it, you you know. But there's there's one thing that I have always found fascinating about Max Verstappen. So he's a 
He's a driver I followed since, I want to say, Florida Winter Series. So he was competing against, I'm trying to remember the date on all this. I want to say 2013, 2012, 2013, and around there. He was competing against like Nicholas Latifi, Lance Stroll. Uh, there was a few others that were mixed in there as well. And so I've been, this guy was on my radar since then. And I'd heard like incredible things, like he's a real deal. And so losing that Formula 3 championship to Esteban Ocon, you know, all right. And then all of a sudden he gets pumped up into Formula 1. And I was like, whoa, okay. He goes out and first few races in Toro Rosso. And I'm like, this kid's pretty good. Pretty good. Just a teenager, right? Just a teenager. I'm like, wow. The things that he was doing, he was, what was he? He was like 17 years old, 18 years old, something like that. Like amazing things. I was like, holy shit. Unbelievable. And so I've been around him and following him for a long time. Chatted with him many, many times over his career. And one thing for me that has always, and I said this on Sports Center, always stood out. This one thing that always stood out to me about every single time I talked to him, every single time I saw him, every single time we chatted, just always had that self-confidence. So just that self-confidence in himself. And, and one of the things with racing and motorsports is that you know, confidence is really fleeting. It's it's paper thin. You can have it for one lap and you can lose it for the next, and then it can be gone for a long time. Just ask some of the drivers who are on the grid right now. Sometimes it's difficult to get that confidence back. But then there's those there are those certain drivers who just have it all the time. All the time. Even through hard times. Still got it. I've never seen him lose that self-belief in himself. That that and and I think that's what sets a driver who's won one world championship compared to a driver who's won multiple world championships. It's that confidence in themselves. And then given his age, right? Like he's doing unbelievable things in the dominant car. He's only 26 years old, incredibly young as an F1 driver and his ceiling, like he still has like a very high ceiling. You don't normally start peaking in formula one until you like get into well into your thirties. Like he still has a long road ahead of him and he still has more room for that growth. Now hearing from him afterwards, you know, he, doesn't think he'll ever get any faster, but he thinks the experience that he's got will just accumulate. And I agree with that. But I also think when accumulating that experience, you also accumulate a finding hundreds of a second that eventually add up. That's what that experience is giving you, which then raises your level of performance. And so he has a contract with Red Bull until you know 2028 and so if the team if the team can 
give him a car that he can go out and compete on a regular basis because this field is going to tighten up. It, it is. They are. There is going to be convergence. They will start coming closer together. I think it's going to happen as soon as race seven or eight, six, seven or eight next next season. But I think convergence is, will happen. And when it does, he's going to be in some massive fights for sure. No question about it. But I think he has everything at his fingertips that could one day possibly could make it a slight possibility. Look, seven is a huge number. It is massive. Massive number. But he definitely has the skills, the skill set, and the experience still coming to, to keep winning world championships. There's no doubt about that. It's, I think what's going to end up making the call on all that is, you know, what happens with Red Bull? What happens with the machinery they're able to give him? But at the end of the day, what he's done this season, extremely impressive, extremely impressive. And I, this isn't something I really don't think we'll see anything like this for a while. I really don't. I mean, they may be competitive. They may be pretty, they may be pretty dominant the first few races of next season, but I don't see it lasting to be honest with you. I see the, field converging uh, pretty closely. So Oscar Piastri goes out, sprint race, grabs grabs his first sprint win, right? F1 sprint win. Look, Piastri had a, he had a great getaway in that race, but the tires just so crucial at the start of, of the sprint, right? They were, it was so hot. There was a, there was so much degradation with this track in terms of the tires that Pirelli had brought. And, you know, Russell, George Russell starting on the softs, super aggressive off the start. And now you have to remember that the soft tires were way easier to get working off the start of the race. So these soft tires were way easier to get them activated, to get them lots of grip so they can perform at a very high level very quickly. But they also degrade really fast. Russell caught Piastri, you know, napping off of the safety car restart and takes the lead. Great pass by Russell, by the way. He had a tremendous race, all things considered. And then, you know, the soft tire runners, well, they started to struggle, right? They, they really, you could see it in the sprint, really started to struggle and they started to come back to all those who were running on the medium tire compound. Piastri, however, doing a nice job with the medium tire. Okay, learning from Japan. And if if you go back to the older episodes, I said it on there, I'll say it again. He's a rookie. And one of the big issues is learning that tire degradation in certain race situations, Japan being one of those. And this weekend, again, being another and you could just see the light switch had switched on. He had figured out how to deal with that tire degradation. And I think, you know, that obviously is a huge thing in Formula One. But for a rookie to learn that so quickly, which is something that's really, really hard to learn. This is an impressive driver we're talking about here, right? Takes the lead of the race back. 
holds off a hard-charging Max Verstappen, and captures the win. Pretty good, right? I'm blown away. Super blown away by this driver. I wasn't 100% sold on him when, you know, Alpine and McLaren were fighting over him. Like, knew he was good, but this is like shades of like, you know, being next level talent here, right? Like, like we're talking next level talent. (laughs) And everyone down at McLaren, you know, it's great right now, right? But they may have their hands full in a couple of years here. (laughs) Oh my God. This at the moment, I think is, it's great for McLaren though. Right, Piastri really pushing Lando Norris. And this is really going to push the team. So what that does when you have these two drivers that are really aggressive and they push each other, they they push each other on the track, they push each other off of the track, but they also push the team. And they push the team to make the car faster sooner. And that is how you evolve your program even quicker. It's more difficult when you have one really talented driver and you have one who's just on the cusp of being, you know, just on the cusp of starting to push because they're a little bit further behind. They're still trying to catch up and learn and figure that out so they can then get to the same level as the other driver who is further ahead. When you have two drivers who are on the exact same level right away, like Lewis Hamilton, George Russell, that is huge for your development. It's huge for getting new parts of the car. Felt a little bad for Lando Norris. <laughs> Obviously, uh, still doesn't, uh, still doesn't have a win. <laughs> you know, he still doesn't have a win yet in F1, but look, he came close in Sochi in Sochi 2021. Late race downpour in that one, if I remember correctly. That's what happened. And he wasn't really listening to the team, the engineers, and they were telling him to pit. Yeah, because it was raining on one side of the track, but not the other. And I think for him, he was thinking like, look, I'm going to make this work. I just got to tiptoe my way through the wet stuff. But then it really downboard. He had a spin. He went off. Hamilton pitted at the right time. He got the wet weather tires on. And actually, it might have been intermediates. I can't even remember. And Hamilton goes on. He took the win. And for, <laughs> for, for Lando, you know, that's a, that was probably, he probably could have grabbed his first win there, right? But outside of that, I mean, obviously, Lando Norris also an incredible talent. You know, I'm, I'm saying McLaren has got two amazing drivers, and I am so excited to see what happens next year between those two. Um, let's talk about the uh, the FIA. Um, so the mandate for for the tires. I'll just share a few things that I'd gotten throughout the weekend on my screen here. And you go over to YouTube and you can, uh, you can watch this. Um, that is not the right one. <laughs> I'll get to this one though. This is a reprimand for Lewis Hamilton, but I will get to that one. Um, so essentially I woke up at around six in the morning and the FIA was talking about, um, the tires and, essentially what was happening with the Pirelli tire. Uh, So if you go back to Friday, so Friday following free practice one, 
So Pirelli took their tires back from the teams and had them examined. Now, this sets the whole weekend, the tone for the entire weekend in terms of what happens with these tires because it it bleeds into our race on Sunday. So Pirelli takes the tires back from the teams on Friday following FP1. um, And then they found that the tire was suffering from micro cuts. So essentially the curbs in Qatar, and if you would listen to our pre-race show on Thursday, we were talking about curbs and the curbs in particular at Qatar and how I was all about, they need to replace them. So they did, they did replace the old curbs from 2021. So in 2021, these curbs were blowing tires up, like blowing them up on these drivers, a very dangerous situation. And so they went back and they replaced all these curbs and they were, I think they were kind of like pyramid curbs, I believe is what they were calling them. Still very aggressive, right? And Yuki Sonoda called them like floor damagers or floor destroyers or something like that on, on Thursday media day. So these curbs still too aggressive at the track. And what's happening is when the drivers go to exit a corner, you know, the, the vibrations from the curbing so aggressive that literally shaking the tire, creating these micro cuts, especially on the sidewalls of the tire as well, which could leak air. And that was, that was a huge concern for Pirelli because it can lead to a quick punctures. And the longer you stay out on the tire, um, the more it increases that risk of the tire blowing. And, you know, you don't want to get into that situation. It's way too dangerous. So you have to find ways of preventative measures. And one of them is, so in turns 12 and 13, in particular, left-hand side, they had to change the track limits at those two corners. So the tire failures could easily happen in the race, like I had mentioned, but... For the race itself, this thing got moved to 18 lap maximum on the tires. And essentially, it turned this race into a three, the Grand Prix on Sunday, it turned it into a three to four stop for, for some. And then, I, you know, when I had heard about all this, I was kind of thinking like, well, you know what? I mean, like, is F1 better with more stops? And this was well before the race had even started. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, yes, I think it is because you're increasing the different strategies that teams can take within a race. And that spices the show up, right? But it's interesting to find like who had what for tires left. Um, so Pirelli put that information put that information out for us to see. Ted Kravitz did a really nice breakdown of it on Sky Sports, uh, their pre-show. Did a really good breakdown of it. Just essentially explaining, like, this is what Max Verstappen has left allotted in terms of his tires. He has 17 laps remaining on this. He's got 16 laps remaining on this. He's got 18 laps, essentially, remaining on this. And so Verstappen, obviously, with the better strategy, because he took better care of the tires throughout the entire a weekend, he did such an incredible job at doing that. Very impressive from him. Again, right? This guy, I tell you, he's pretty good. So into the race. So Sergio Perez, he had his uh, collision with, was it? Esteban Ocon, Nico Hulkenberg, 
in the sprint race on the Saturday. And so the car took a ton of damage, a ton. So he was starting from, he's he's had to start from pit lane. Now the reasoning the FIA gave me for that was that the technical delegate, you know, reported to the stewards that Red Bull Racing worked on Sergio Perez's car two hours after the checkered flag without supervision. So when teams go to work on these race cars, they normally have people uh, from the FIA inside the garage watching every single thing the crew are doing to the car, monitoring it. So two hours after the checkered flag, no supervision, and they were working on this thing. Now, the report that I was sent, it mentioned that the relevant chassis might have been assembled to more than an assembly comprising a survival cell. So same thing that happened to Logan Sargent in Japan. So stipulating that essentially a third car was built and was available to the competitor. Now, what that means is not only is he taking, because he had to take power unit, uh, power unit um, elements as well. Uh, he took a whole host of power unit elements for this one. But essentially, that's pit lane start. That's where you're starting from. So that's what happened to Sergio right off the hop. He's starting dead last at the back. Carlos Sainz at the beginning of the race was fifth in the driver's championship. We're talking about Ferrari right now. Sorry. Let's go to Ferrari. <laughs> Carlos Sainz at the beginning of the race was fifth in the driver's championship ahead of his teammate, Charles Leclerc, who was sixth, just 18 points separated you know, both of those drivers. And so I got a text from Ferrari before start of the race um, saying that it was he wasn't starting the race. He was done. That was it. They, he wasn't taking part in the event. Uh, they're saying he was out due to a fuel systems issue on the car. And so Charles Leclerc, the lone Ferrari driver left in this one. That's tough for Carlos Sainz. He's had a really remarkable season. I think it's really important for him and we'll do the driver's championship stuff in a minute. But I think it's really important for Carlos. Like He needs to get points. I think he needs to stay in front of Charles Leclerc in the driver's standings. I think he needs to finish in front of Charles Leclerc in the driver's standings like he did back in 2021. And I think that that will set the tone for this team for next season. And I think if you're Carlos Sainz and you want to be taken seriously as a possible one-day driver champion, you you need to do this. You need to finish in front of him. That's my opinion. And so when something like this happens, really sucks. So it's tough for him. Now he's going to have to try and find a way of bouncing back, collecting some of these points that he had lost to Charlotte Leclerc. Charlotte Leclerc had a pretty handy race in difficult conditions. Speaking about the race, absolutely flat out. Because of that mandatory pit stops every 18 laps, like I had mentioned a couple minutes ago, flat out. These were qualifying laps. And the drivers were saying that at the end of the race as well. Like Lando Norris in particular said, look, this is flat out. These were qualifying laps. Oscar Piastri, same thing. And that's what I want to see. 
I want to see these guys on the absolute ragged edge, on the limit, entire race. That's what I want. I want that. I I don't like the management of the tire. I want, as a driver myself, when I was racing, even in Formula cars, especially Champ Car Atlantics, those were qualifying laps. That was 70 minutes, quality laps, flat out, every single race, nonstop. That's what an IndyCar is, flat out. Great racing. For this, we actually got a race where, where these drivers were, you know, pumping them out. It was awesome. And I found this race extremely entertaining. I actually really enjoyed this race a lot. Really did. Even though, obviously, Verstappen won by... Actually, he didn't win by much, did he? He was like, what, four seconds or something like that? Four to four to eight seconds in, in around there. That's what he won by. But regardless, very good race. Really, I really enjoyed it. Straight off the hop, <laughs> Hamilton and Russell. You know, they collide. And, you know, when I was watching that, I was like... Mm. This is going to be interesting because Lewis, Lewis starting on soft tire, right? Lewis is starting on the soft tire and Russell starting on the mediums. And so as soon as, you know, Hamilton preps the tire, he gets an incredible incredible getaway incredible it was awesome and that's because he had prepped the tire just so well like lewis did such an incredible job at doing that you know when i look at it you have to sit there and wonder you know did mercedes talk about that and their their head of pr comms bradley lord well he had said they did but up to a certain extent and Bradley actually made a really good point. He said, look, when the start of the race happens, sometimes you just can't predict these things. And he's right. You you can't because, you know, when you get into the start of a Grand Prix, when that happens, it's, it's uh, you're, you're improvising, right? So you don't necessarily know, you don't know what everyone's going to do. You don't know the direction that everyone's going to go in. So, you're literally adapting within tenths of a second and making split second uh, decisions with what what you're doing. And so for Lewis, you know, gets a like shot out of a cannon, just a burner going around the outside into T1. You know, Max comes over to cover off. Max came over to cover off George. It was a smart move by Max. I mean, you you, you kind of have to do that because I think he knew the Mercedeses were pretty, pretty handy today. Like, really handy today, actually. And so when you're watching that, I'm watching Lewis and I'm like, you know what? I think he's going to take the lead here and sure enough goes to the outside and then him and George collide. 
So when him and George collide, I was like, oh my God, like, God, I'm freaking out, right? Like, because that I think right there was a potential to hold Verstappen off for maybe a defeat. Maybe. Obviously, you know, Max is incredible, but we saw at the finish of the race, and even Verstappen said it, like his final stint was not good. They struggled. And that's where I was like, they threw away an opportunity to win here, potentially. And I think it would have been a win more so for possibly George Russell because he had the better tires that were still left over in his allotment. Hamilton didn't. But since that since that soft tire was just so good, you knew that if, if Lewis could throw himself into the mix, that would create a lot of problems for Verstappen because he doesn't have Sergio Perez around up close to help him out, sort to help him sort all of that out, to fight through all of that. You have two drivers who are coming for you and attacking. You have the McLarens as well, who were just absolutely flying out there. Absolutely flying. So anyways, they take each other out. Then Hamilton crosses the track during racing conditions. So by Lewis doing that, so when during racing conditions, right? And you know, you can't have a driver crossing the track when you know the track is 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 on, right? When it's when it's a green track and there's cars not necessarily racing, but they are circulating at a pretty quick pace, right? And so the stewards ended up handing Hamilton a reprimand. It was a non-driving uh, for crossing the track during the race. He was also given a fine of 50,000 euros, 25,000 euros of which is suspended for the remainder of the 2023 season on condition that there is no, quote, that there is no further breach of similar nature. And you know what? Good on good on Lewis to to head on over to his social media and essentially you know that was that was it for 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 Lewis. I mean, he he had made mention, well first I want to show you the uh what the stewards had said. So this is what the stewards had said about Hamilton and giving him the fine. And then outside of all that We'll come over to what Lewis tweeted out. So Lewis gets onto Twitter a little bit after. And you know, both drivers on the radio complaining, right? This guy did this to me. This guy did this to me. And, you know, fair enough. You got to do it. And, you know, good on Lewis, I mean, for, for jumping onto Twitter and basically explaining, look, I've watched the replay. It was 100% my fault. And I take full responsibility. Apologies to my team. And to George is what the tweet reads. And then afterwards, you know, there was some video that was released by Formula One, you know, of, of Lewis tracking George down, the two of them shaking hands, giving each other a hug. So, I mean, good on him. I do put that one on Lewis for sure. I mean, there was a lot of room 
on Lewis's outside for him to go around a little bit further. Uh, there would have been more room on the exit for him as well. That would have had to cause George to back up a bit. But at the time, George was a sandwich, right? He was a uh, meat in a bun. So not much you can do about that. So for for that, didn't necessarily see it as a racing uh, incident. But at the end of the day, you know, look, I've done a hundred of standing starts, rolling starts. And it's tough because, like I was saying, at the start of the race, all improvisation. There's nothing you can do about any of that kind of stuff. You're just flying by the seat of your pants. And you're trying to sort it out as you're getting into corners while you're going like 200, 300 kph. But interesting stat, though. You know, Hamilton's only gone out of a start of a Grand Prix six times in F1. They mentioned it on the broadcast. That's wild if you think about that. That's an incredible... That's an incredible number. Hamilton only gone out of uh, the start of a race of a Grand Prix six times in his Formula One career. Six times. That's that's amazing. A few other drivers who decided to pick up the pieces. Well, one of them obviously being Oscar Piastri. <laughs> oh, my God. We said at the end of the race about whoever came by in turn one and bowled everybody over. That killed me. I was dying, dying, laughing, absolutely dying. I was in stitches. But again, Piastri doing such a tremendous job, you know, managing his race and finishing where he did was very impressive. P2 finish for him. And then you had Lando Norris in P3. Norris doing a nice job too. That was a big time drive from, from Lando. Big time drive. Big, big, big. He was... Super impressive in this race. Now, I don't know if McLaren thinks that they're going to be as competitive as they are in this particular race as they will be in, in others. I think, you know, hearing from Andre Stella following this one doesn't sound like it. I think there's going to be some events where they're going to be strong. There's going to be some where they might not be just as strong as they are. But still positive signs for this team moving forward because what they've done is an incredible achievement you know, McLaren, since putting on the upgrades in, in Austria, they've been the closest challenger to Red Bull Racing. They've been, think about that, they've been the closest challenger to Red Bull Racing since Austria. So essentially, if it had started in Austria, they probably would be finishing P2 in the championship. Let's take a look at some of the um, finishing positions in this race. We'll touch on a couple of storylines uh, from inside of these finishing positions uh, from this one because, yeah, like I said, it was a good race. You know, I, I really liked it. Uh, obviously, Verstappen winning, Piastri second, Norris third, George Russell. Uh, that is quite the comeback drive. If you think about it, he was dead last, off the track, limping around, brings the car in. They don't change the front nose cone because uh, they didn't feel it was broken enough to really uh, – go through a change, but they did change the front tires. One of them was punctured. Um, that was a message that we had gotten from uh, the Mercedes comms team telling us during the race that that's what happened uh, with George. But what a great drive from him to really bounce back. That's a hell of a drive. If you think about it, Mercedes had a ton of pace in this one. So that's why I was saying a little bit earlier, like, hey, they could have won. They potentially could have had a potential win here. Charles Leclerc finishing fifth for the Ferraris. I mean, great job from Charles Leclerc. 
uh, even being the sole Ferrari driver out there, it's been a tough weekend for them. Uh, a lot of issues with setup changes, uh, a lot of issues with obviously heating because of just how hot it was there. I don't think the Ferrari does this, is, does particularly well in hot conditions either. And Fernando Alonso, this is a guy who was in podium contention, flew off the track, uh, and then he got he got investigated for rejoining unsafely onto the back onto the track when he rejoined he was like p7 p8 fought back to finish p6 uh he ended up getting a reprimand from the stewards as well uh but great job from alonso drove really well and esteban ocon and we'll talk about all of the uh you know heat exposure things that esteban had to deal with all the health concerns and everything from these drivers we're going to touch on that in just a minute but esteban ocon that's a hell of a drive uh, from him as well to finish P7. P7. Same goes for Bottas and, and Joe. Um, P8, P9. The thing with uh, Bottas and Joe, that, I believe, is Alfa Romeo's first double points finish of the season. Both of them doing a very solid job in Sergio Perez, uh, bringing up the rear in P10. And you had Lance Stroll, uh, who was in the points. He finishes P11, uh, he drops out of the points because of track limits, five second time penalties, and all of that added up to him uh, being bumped out of the points. And then Pierre Gasly, P12, uh, they had a great scrap. Perez, Stroll, Gasly, for a little bit of this race towards the end. Alexander Albon, at one point, I thought that uh, he was going to be he was going to be do some really great points. He had a very nice drive going on. Um, P7 ish, I thought he was going to end up finishing, but he ended up being bounced out into P13. Then Kevin Magnuson, P14, Yuki Sonoda, P15, Nico Hulkenberg, uh, P16. So Magnuson beating Hulkenberg, not, not too bad from him. Uh, Yuki Sonoda, obviously P15, like I'd mentioned, he, he beat his teammate Liam Lawson, P17. And then you had the uh, DNFs of Logan Sargent, Lewis Hamilton, and obviously. Carlos Sainz uh, did not start uh, this race. And so that rounds out the finishing results um, from the race. Like I said, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, thought it was great. Let's talk about the health and safety concerns with uh, the weather in Qatar because extremely hot. Um, we had talked about this on the Thursday before uh, the start of the weekend with Nate Saunders from ESPN and I, I think I think F1 got away with one today. I really do. I really think they got away with one. Really hot conditions. Um, you know, you saw drivers raising their visors. George Russell, in particular, raising the visor coming into pit lane. You can't raise your visor when you're going down the straightaway at 300 kilometers an hour because it'll blow your eyeballs out. So George having to do it when he got to pit lane, using his hands to kind of direct air into the cockpit so he could get as much air as he could coming in. A lot of drivers doing that as well. And having to use the drinks bottle. Now, the drinks bottle is an interesting thing because, you know, it's – it's fairly cool when you start, but that thing turns to warm tea soup. You know, once you get like six laps into a race, it gets warm. Trust me. It is not good. You're drinking hot tea. It's, it's, it's gross. And inside the cockpit, obviously for these drivers, like I'm hearing 50, 50 degrees, like unbearable conditions, unbearable. Like, yeah, drivers who were 
talking about like Lance Stroll talking about passing out. Like he was saying the 20 laps to go, he was starting to fade once he got into the high speed corners because of all of the energy that's coming through your body that you're having to fight because that's what it feels like. You are fighting G forces. You're fighting all of that energy and one G force is equated to one times your body weight. So five G's is five times your body weight. You're fighting through. So for these drivers, you know, this is a very physical sport. Okay. You're also wearing your Nomex. So your fireproof underwear, which is extremely hot. You're also wearing your coverall, your overall. Again, uh, very hot, extremely hot under there. And then you have your gloves, you have your balaclava. Again, fireproof, so extremely, extremely hot. Socks, underwear, underwear that covers your entire legs. Like, it's not just like, you know, it's not just like little undies, right? You got the entire thing. It covers the entire body. So... You're already cooking. And then you have the engine because you're sitting right on it. And on the battery itself, you're sitting right on that as well. You have all the electronic cables that are running around you and underneath you. Again, that stuff's giving off a lot of heat. Then you have the track temperature. The track temperature. The track is soaking up all of the sun and the heat that's coming off of the sun. That's radiating out of the track into the car, into you as the driver, and then trying to disperse. And inside the cockpit of a Formula One car, there is no air conditioning in any Formula cars. There's no such thing, okay? So people are making jokes about turn the air conditioning on. There, there isn't, man, okay? Let me tell you, it's hot. It's aggressive. It is unbearable. You are talking about a boxing match inside a telephone booth that is in a sauna. That's what you're dealing with, Okay. In the cooldown room, you saw Max Verstappen, Oscar Piastri. These guys are fit. Like I remember Jensen Button when he was training for to stay fit for Formula One. He was doing it with he was doing it with Ironmans, Ironmans, right? Hundred and eighty kilometer bike race mixed in with a forty two kilometer run mixed in with a four kilometer swim. That's what these guys were training with. Okay, that. That is the level of their fitness. And Jensen Button going out and beating professional triathletes in an Ironman that he ended up doing just for fun. Okay, go look it up. And so that's the level of fitness that these guys are at. You have to be at for Formula One. You have to be at for IndyCar. So when you see these guys laying on the ground in the cool-down room, you know it's some serious stuff. Okay, you know that they just went through it, all right? And one of the things when you're just going through it is you got to figure it out. And you got to figure out how to hold on in the car. You got to figure out how to deal with it. You got to figure out how to suffer because that's what it feels like. You can't go anywhere, right? You can't, you can't stop and get out of the car, okay? You just can't do it. And... When you try to compare it to other sports, you can't, right? Because for other sports, you know, like, you know, you look at hockey, you look at football, you look at basketball, you look at baseball, you know, you get you get rest, right? You get that rest. You get a little bit of a break. You don't get a break in car racing. There are no breaks 
It's 90 minutes to two hours of flat out pushing. So when I say it's hard, trust me, it is extremely challenging with these drivers are having to deal with. So Logan Sargent, that was a tough race. Felt bad for Logan, you know, really bad for Logan. He ends up having to pull out of this one and saw the video footage, you know, the team, he can't get out of the car, right? He's, you can hear him on the radio and listen to his radio for the whole thing. And you could hear that like just how much he was fighting through to try and stay in the car, try and stay on the track, try and stay in the fight. Way too hot. But another thing with Logan is he's bite. He was, he was fighting the, you know, he's fighting the flu. He's fighting a virus coming into the, coming into the race weekend. Regardless, he got sick earlier in the week. He was fighting sickness earlier in the week. And so that right there sets you back because you're already dehydrated. So you can't, you can't rehydrate. You can't, you can't really hydrate yourself like the day before a Grand Prix. That's not how this works. Hydration as a driver, that starts days before. We're talking days. So when these drivers are getting ready for big race weekends, right? Like they're fueling up. Right, they're getting hydrated for the Grand Prix weekend. That's starting on a Monday, okay? And hopefully, you are fully hydrated and ready to rock by Sunday. For Logan, yeah, that takes a lot out of you, and you're having to deal with all that heat. So the team provides me with a with an update on him. You know, Williams, Logan Sargent, he was assessed. Cleared by the medical team on site after suffering from intense dehydration during the race weekend by having flu-like symptoms earlier in the week. Wow. Tough. And I was like I was saying, watching the video of him getting pulled out of the car and carried, like they literally had to carry him out of the garage like he was he was toast like i'm surprised he lasted as long as he did to be perfectly honest with you i as soon as i heard him on the radio i was just like there's just no way there's no way there's no way he's talking about he's talking about almost being sick in the car i'm like there's just no way this guy's finishing way too way too hot, hot out there way too difficult i mean for him to hold on for as long as he did you know pretty impressive Presses from him, but he wasn't the only one who was suffering. His teammate, Alex Albon, Alex Albon was suffering too. I went back and took a look at his onboard camera to just see how much Alex Albon was suffering. He could barely get out of the car at the end of this race. So again, Albon, he was taken to medical, treated for acute heat exposure. Williams provided a quote. Following the Qatar Grand Prix, Alex was taken to the medical center to be treated for acute heat exposure. He is now being assessed and cleared by the medical team. He wasn't the only one. There were others, and they just started to drop like flies because conditions just way too difficult to be racing in this. Ocon. 
so he was speaking with Sky Sports. Uh, and he confirmed he threw up in the car. It was on lap 15 or 16, he thought. You know, I, I, I wrote the conditions for this race were, you know, serious, right? Because they were. We're serious. Tough. And finishes P7 for Esteban Ocon. That's an impressive, you know, drive from him and have to deal with all of that. I mean, good on a lot of these drivers for pushing through all of that. Um, I mean, yeah, tough to watch what happened to some of them, though. I spoke with a team representative following the race, and, you know, they told me that, you know, the FIA way garage, so where the drivers go to get weighed after the race, you know, they have to go and, and do that. You know, it is mandatory. They were saying it was like, you know, it was like an apocalypse. Drivers were just laying on the floor everywhere, trying to get cooled down and take into fluids um, before they had to then go do their media obligations. So, I mean, the temperatures in October in Qatar, they're around like 40 degrees. So over 105 at times during the day, like it is something we talked about in our pre-race podcast, like I had mentioned, it's serious stuff. And like I was also telling you, Stroll, like explaining post-race that you know, the last 20 laps for him fading out through high-speed corners. Leclerc saying that the drivers are going to have to get together and discuss if something like this goes down again because it was just way too hot. I've been in these situations. Haven't had to race as long or at that speed and cornering speed. And trust me, as you graduate up the racing ladder, things get more and more and more and more physical because the speeds become more, the downforce becomes more, the driving becomes even more difficult and physical to deal with. You know, I remember a race in particular. Um, I had, uh, well, I, I had to take E-load after. So E-load was it's like this hydrate was a hydration. I don't even know if they make it anymore, but like cyclists would take it because and marathoners would take it because of all the sweat you lose. Elode had so much sodium, uh, so much like salt in it and electrolytes that you know, really helped combat cramping, dehydration. And so I was in a race in an uh, Atlantic car. And those cars were tough to drive, man. No power steering, nothing, right? Like these cars are incredibly difficult. And it was hot, so hot, so hot. And I started to get, like when I get cramps, I get cramps in, for me, it's different. I get I, I get cramps in my quads and I get cramps in my feet. It's so weird. I still get cramps in my feet if I don't hydrate enough when I go to train. Anyways, in a race, Get cramp in my right foot. The one you need for the accelerator. The most important one. Getting a cramp. And it's so painful. I'm taking my left foot. I'm just squiggling it over to like, because the foot box inside of a race car is extremely small. So it's kind of like this. You have your, you know, you're braking with your left foot. You're accelerating with your right. Uh, you're braking and blipping the throttle as you're downshifting with. So you're, you're doing two things at once. Um, clutch is just, just over here. Clutch is really small. It's like this big. Cause you don't even use it. Cause back then we were using sequential gearboxes anyways. So foot's flat to the floor. I start getting a cramp right in here. And my foot starts coming up because it's just so painful, right? Like I didn't want to do anything. I had to take my left foot, put it on top of my right and hold it down. 
that's what I had to do. So from that moment on, I started to think about the hydration process. And that's when I started taking e-load. But the problem was, is that for me, like, and I had to understand my body a little bit better. Like when I, I hold on to sodium, like I'm good with, with heat. Like I suck, I suck in the heat, but I don't, I don't, uh, I don't cramp up a lot. Okay. I can handle really hot conditions. I can handle heavy sweating. Uh, and I do do that. I did do sweat heavily, but my thing is, is that, uh, when I get to that point where the dehydration kicks in, it really just absolutely throttles me finished, finished. Can't, can't push through those types of cramps because of just how much, how much painful they are. So the, the sports drink really helped a lot, really helped a lot. Also made me hold on to a lot of fluid as well. So when I went to get weighed before and after the races, there was a huge drop off in the weight <laughs> because of it. And I had to explain to them, explain, you know, to the stewards, like, Hey, like, this is what happens. This is what happens with me. And this is, blah, blah, blah. so yeah, anyways, explain it, carry on. But these are the situations that a lot, you know, a lot of these drivers have to deal with. Everyone's different. Obviously everyone's body is different at the same time, but uh, these extreme heat conditions are definitely going to have to be addressed moving forward. Uh, they will be coming back to this track in December next year, 2024. Um, so temperatures should be much different then. That's what they're saying. But again, drivers are definitely going to be on this one. Uh, let's go through the driver's championship standings real quickly um, to have a quick look at that see what she's looking like okay so max verstappen obviously well ahead sergio perez 224 points compared to lewis hamilton with 194 then you've got fernando alonso down in fourth place now with 183 carlos Sainz has 153 where Charles leclerc has 145 and now there are only a few of these that i'm really really looking at right now I am looking at the battle between Sergio Perez and Lewis Hamilton because if Lewis Hamilton can finish second in this driver's championship, that is an amazing feat with a car that was crap at the start of the season. It's now they've figured this thing out. He's driving really well. This is a really good, this is a nice season from Lewis. He's putting together one hell of a season. So that battle between Hamilton and Perez is going to be real, real interesting. Uh, same goes for Alonso. They can start figuring out the Aston Martin a little bit more. And then the next one I'm looking at is Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, 153 to 145. Carlos Sainz is 153 points. Charles Leclerc, 145 points. That one, I think for me, that's important. I also think the Lando Norris Oscar Piastri one is starting to get interesting, but I don't think it's close. Lando Norris with 136 points. He's in seventh. And then you've got Oscar Piastri in ninth with 83 points. So I don't necessarily see... Um, Oscar catching up to Lando, but regardless, those would be the driver, uh, battles in the driver's championship that I am looking at the most. Here's the other one. Uh, we have Red Bull racing and the constructors that's over with. They won that. The interesting one for me is second place in the driver's Standings. Mercedes leads the way. 326 points. We got Ferrari in third with 298. Aston Martin in fourth with 230. Then we got McLaren 219. 
they are coming for Aston Martin. They are coming. And that is, that's going to be a fight, I think. And I'm interested to see that fight because McLaren has just, well, they've just been awesome. Like I had mentioned, been talking about how awesome they are all podcasts, but if they're able to catch Aston Martin and pass them for fourth in the constructors, I mean, wow, that's an incredible, incredible achievement from them. Uh, let's head on over to the debrief and we will take your questions that you sent to us. And first off, let's have a look who we got here. We have got Fiona. A lot of peeps on my TL, so timeline, are saying maybe there shouldn't be a race in Qatar, given how bad a lot of the drivers felt after it. Do you think this is a one-off or maybe taking out of the schedule is a good idea? It's an interesting question because at the end of the day, when you look at this thing, I mean, it, that's a tough. that was a tough race. That was an extremely challenging race for these drivers. Like I had said, I think F1 had really gotten away with one there. And I think if it continues, then yeah, that there would have to be a, a conversation at what they want to do with this particular race. There's a lot that needs to go in this too. There's the, the track still needs work as well. The curbing that still needs work. Like I had mentioned, I mean, and I think looking you know, at the bigger picture, do you move this race to, you know, March? Like what, what does that look like? Right. How do you, I think, how do you handle going to some of these countries, the time that you're going to them when, you know, the weather is the way that it is, it can be quite challenging thing, you know, to have to deal with because you're having to move a giant, you know, sport all around the world. From Parth Lad, do you feel for the first time there is mounting pressure on Lance behind the scenes at Aston? His frustration was much more evident this weekend. And in the past few races, he had made some notable errors. P5 in the constructors is looking more and more likely. Uh, Lance has you know, definitely come out and said he's got to be better. Uh, he said that at the start of the weekend. Um, clearly, he's frustrated, right? We saw that. We We've seen just how frustrated, you know, Lance actually is. But pressure on him from behind the scenes, I mean, I don't necessarily know if that's actually happening. I think just for him, there's pressure for him to want to perform, to want to do well. He's He is very upset at his performances and what he's doing. And, you know, from what I hear, it – he knows it's not good enough and he needs to be even better and figure it out. You know, it was interesting to hear like for him and where he stands in terms of, of the driving. He had said a lot about this on uh Saturday following the sprint race. And it was the balance of the car in terms of what the car is giving him is just not predictable. Like the car is very unpredictable for him where when you go back to the start of the season, he had felt that there was more wiggle room in terms of his driving style. So the car was a lot more forgiving at the beginning of the season. So whatever leading up into just before Canada, when they made that change in Canada, 
And that change that they made in Canada has kind of like put this whole team going downhill. It just, it hasn't worked out for them. But outside of all that, yes. I mean, for, for Lance, like he knows he's got to do well. Like he does. He, they, they need him. The team needs him. So I think if they can help him figure out more like different setups, what else can they do? you know, to help him get the grips with certain things. Like the way that Fernando drives is different from the way that Lance drives. And so for Fernando and, you know, Fernando, obviously with all of that experience, you can take that experience and apply it to different cars. And that's what's so important about racing so many different things. And then one thing I always teach my younger drivers when I'm coaching is that I want them to race and drive as many different things as they can because that accumulates so much experience that you can then take and put towards other cars because you know hey when i drove this it did this when i did this so then i had to i had to do this to get it to do what i wanted and you then get that same feeling with something else and then you know how to quickly transfer that skill over and so that's what's so important about driving uh different cars and i think for Fernando, like that, that's another one of those things that makes him so good, so adaptable. From Andrew, uh, Logan Sargent had a really rough time recently. Do you see him bouncing back from this, or is he bound to just meddle in the back of the pack with a terrible car? Well, Andrew, like, look, I think uh, one of the things, and I, you know, I've said this before, but when I, I look at Logan, like he is a talented driver. The thing with formula one is it doesn't offer enough mileage for a rookie before you get into the season. You know, if you, you can't compare him to Oscar Piastri because Oscar Piastri has had formula one mileage before he became a full-time F1 driver. So with that, comes a lot of different things, right? You get an understanding what an F1 team is like. You get an understanding for how to communicate with an F1 team. You learn how to uh, manage different cars, different tires, and you deal with the speed and just how precise you need to be with everything and how you need to communicate that and what you need as a driver to make this thing go faster. George Russell is a perfect example of a driver who is very demanding of, of wanting certain things from the team. But when he does that, that's when George is able to extract the maximum from the car. Cause he's telling them, he is telling the team, you need to do this with this car. So then I can go and do this. That's one of the things really impressive about George, I think, but outside of that for Logan today, in this race, he was having a good race until, you know, he ended up getting, you know, whacked with the dehydration, right? Like he actually was having a pretty good performance at a track he's never actually been to. There are races where he made a lot of mistakes and he needed to be better. The team has put their full support behind the guy. My only thing when it comes to rookies, and I say this with all rookies, even, even Nick DeVries, like, they need time. Like they need time in F1. You, you can't just expect a rookie to be great right away because 
the rookie can be an incredible talent, but their learning curve and how fast they learn something could be slower than others. But eventually they will figure it out and get there. And so when, yeah, I look at what Logan does, I have a feeling he'll probably be back next season. But that next season is going to be in a very, this was an important one, but next one, if he's able to hang on with the team, next one's going to be extremely important uh, for Logan. And that learning curve is going to have to really be steep. Like he's going to have to dig deep. And yeah, I think he's a good driver. I think I think he can figure this out for sure. But at the end of the day, it's Formula One. This is tough. You got to figure it out and deal with it quickly. So Let's see what happens on that front. Thanks very much, everyone, for the questions. Really appreciate that. Thanks again, everyone, for watching and uh, listening to Nailing the Apex. You can get Nailing the Apex wherever you get your podcasts. Like I said, you can watch us on YouTube as well. Um, Please head over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts. Write a review. That helps us grow the show. You can follow me on social media at Tim Haraney, and we'll talk to you all later in the week.